done. We better get going because we're on we're on the clock. Um, <coughs> We've got to get, I've got to get off, yeah. So we kind of feel like we should say goodbye now because at some point we're going to have to kind of run out the room. But just to say as well, it is so lovely to be here. And I know lots of you don't know us and so this is all a bit weird for you maybe. But for those who, um, you know, it's been 15 years for some people we haven't seen and you all look the same, which is good news. Um, and it's just good to be here and see what God's doing among this church. We hear news every now and again from different people and saw Andy recently and just heard about uh, what God's been doing even in this site in the last few months. Actually, we know Simon, we've known Simon for a long time as well um, and Bex. So it's just wonderful to just have all these relationships in the kingdom of God and see how God is working. But I basically, I, I, the guys suggested that I actually preach about church planting. I promise that was their idea and not mine. Um, but I want to just read um, from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4. And then just speak for a little while about this. And it'll be a bit about church planting, but to be honest, it's actually more, I've tried to design it. It's a bit more for everyone. So you don't have to be involved in a church plant or thinking about it for this to be relevant to you. <clears throat> in Mark 4, there's a whole load of parables that Jesus tells. And one of them is this short one. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? This is verse 30. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And uh, it's a lovely, I think it's a lovely little moment because you almost get to see Jesus almost kind of processing out loud, almost like, so what, what shall I use? Like almost look at what can I use to describe the kingdom of God to you? What? Almost like almost coming up with a bit of a brand. You know, how can I help you picture what this whole thing is about that I'm starting? And, um, and his answer is the seed, which I think is quite unexpected and quite unusual. We typically, we prefer kind of more alpha macho images. Typically, if we're trying to think of how to describe ourselves, we tend to thinking like dramatic kind of power images. Um, and so I've got a couple of pictures actually um, of People you might recognise, this is a, well, you probably don't recognise the person from, that's Ben Stokes, actually, the England cricket captain. Um, and that's his tattoo on his back. And what it is, it's like a massive lion, you know, because he's a massive guy, you know. And so his kind of brand is like the lion, you know, think of me, think of the lion. And next one as well, uh, uh, what's his name? I've forgotten it. Adam Peaty, um, the swimmer. Again, like, here's a, Here's a line which happens to fit with my massive biceps, you know. Um, and, and, so, and that is quite commonly the way we tend to think in the world. Like we're trying to picture ourselves, describe ourselves. We like size and scale and ambition. And then, but Jesus, in contrast, says, well, how can I describe it? I know the seed. Like that's the thing. That's the way I want you to think about the kingdom of God. Um, which I think is a bit unexpected, but actually quite profound. And there's a few things I think that, that Jesus wants us to think and wants us to think about the kingdom of God and the kingdom that he's starting and working through in this way. And one of them is just smallness. That's the point that Jesus makes. This seed is like the smallest seed in the garden. It's tiny. Um, and that makes sense because actually what's happening in this moment is Jesus is walking around Galilee he's got a handful of people with him not that different in a way to me and Livy saying like well there's only like seven of us and then there's like another 
six or seven who might join, you kind of almost feel a bit apologetic for the smallness of the whole thing. Um, But Jesus has got a handful of disciples and followers like that with him, but he's basically telling them and preparing them for the reality that what he's doing is going to fill the whole earth. And so he's, he's trying to help them think and understand that and see what it is that God's doing. So he wants them to come to grips with the fact that, yeah, this thing is really small and that's okay because that's actually the way the kingdom of God works. That's how I want to describe the kingdom of God to you. It starts, it almost always starts really small. Um, And even I remember when City Church North started with just a handful of people, maybe six or seven people and six or seven others praying about it. And there was a time where City Church Bristol started with six. And the most amazing thing actually is every church that exists in the world probably started at one point as this tiny little seed with just a handful of people saying, I think God can do something here. And so smallness is actually part of the kingdom of God. And when you're church planting, you really feel that. I remember when we moved to Greenwich and we kind of got sent out from City Church Bristol and we were like, we were young and confident, you know, uh, and we thought, yeah, okay, we're going to go and plant this church. It's going to be great. And we get there. And I remember one Sunday walking around Greenwich. If you've ever been to Greenwich, if you've never been to Greenwich, you should come. It's really nice. Um, and the sun is out. And when the sun is out in Greenwich, it's a beautiful place to be and people in the park and families playing. And, and I remember walking around thinking, suddenly having this kind of dawning realization all these people seem really content with their lives why on earth would any of them want to come to this tiny little church that we are starting and just having this kind of almost suffocating realization of our smallness and our kind of frailty and and realizing oh gosh this whole thing only works if God does something supernatural there's there's only one hope there's only one way through it's for God to breathe on us and do something that we can't do ourselves actually it's quite good for us to get to grips with our smallness in that kind of way because it points us towards God and his strength and I think that's just an important feature in the kingdom of God that faith always starts with a kind of humble sober assessment of ourselves We don't pretend we're more impressive than we are. We start actually by realizing, okay, this is what we've got. But faith always then goes from that and believes for something that God will do from it. And and in Jesus's point, like we're saying, he's, he's got this group around him, but Jesus can see that God's plan, which is described through the Bible for all the nations to hear the gospel is gonna come about through this group which is kind of a breathtaking reality. If you think now that there's something like 2 billion people around the world, and I think there must, I didn't work it out exactly, but I think there's probably hundreds of millions of churches around the world. And you think Jesus, Jesus knew that. He's looking at six or seven or, you know, 12 or 15 people and it's, he knows this is what this is gonna become. That the kingdom of God is like a seed. It always starts small. So smallness is one thing, but another thing is hiddenness. He says, when this seed, it it bears fruit when it is sown. So there's actually a a season for a seed where it has to be hidden away. It has to be kind of tucked into the ground where no one even knows it's there. And there there are seasons of 
hiddenness, um, which I think is a principle you see in the life of Jesus. So in, in the Old Testament in Isaiah, there's actually this verse that describes the Messiah who's going to come. And it describes him like this. It's in the first person, but it's describing a future reality. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. So he's basically saying that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to have this season where he's actually hidden away, where no one even knows that he's there. And you see that in the life of Jesus, yeah? For, for 30 years, pretty much, no one knew that the Son of God, no one knew that the creator of, of, the, of the billions and billions of galaxies had come to earth. It was hidden, like tucked away in, in God's sovereign plan. He was hidden away in his family, learning, growing, God doing things, shaping, you know, all that was happening, but it was hidden. No one knew, it was, even people in his village didn't know who he was because he was hidden away. And uh, you see it in Jesus' life, but I think you actually see it in Jesus' ministry in, in the first church as well, that actually a lot of what Jesus was doing was kind of hidden under the surface foundations. After three years of ministry, Jesus, on the day of, coming up to the day of Pentecost, Jesus had 120 in the upper room. They were, that was the, they were the followers. And you could look at that and think, if you just think numerically, you just think three years? 120, and that's what we did, you know, <laughs> same as Jesus, you know, but you think, oh, no, no, what, what Jesus had invested in was this kind of hidden, the hidden dynamics, the things that no one else knew about, Jesus had been discipling into the hearts of those disciples, so he had discipled faith into them, he'd kind of tested their faith and stretched it and fanned it into flame. He'd affirmed their calling and cemented it into their hearts. He'd taken truth in his teaching and deposited it, deposited it deeply into who they were. He'd helped them forge relationships with each other that had been tested and had sometimes kind of come under strain, but then had worked things out through forgiveness and come out the other side of it. He'd put missional boldness and authority into them. He'd kind of imparted authority and then sent them out. And so they experienced what mission was like and the fruitfulness of it. Their character had been stress tested under pressure. Sometimes it had been found wanting like Peter, you know, fails dramatically and then Jesus restores him again so that there's this kind of beautiful dynamic of character that's been tested but also restored and renewed in the community that he is building. In other words, basically he'd been sowing this kind of gospel DNA into this community. So you could look on the outside and what was visible and just see there's like 120 people there in a room. That's not particularly special. But what you can't see with your physical eyes, but what you could perhaps see with the eyes of faith is that Jesus had been doing this hidden work in them that meant that that community was going to explode into life as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon it. And it was going to become this world-changing community that has breathed out you know, the life of the kingdom of God for 2,000 years afterwards. Now, I actually think that's that principle of hiddenness is such an important dynamic in the kingdom of God you might feel like right now you're quite hidden you we go through seasons sometimes quite long ones where we feel like oh man I just feel hidden away I feel tucked away and actually you can feel like oh, I, I want to kind of get out I want to 
come out of this season. I want to get into a season where everyone can see what I've got to offer, you know, and I can make a difference and have an impact on the world. But actually what Jesus often wants to do with us is no, 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 stay hidden away because there's things that God is doing in us in that season of hiddenness that are the beginnings of the fruitfulness that he wants to do in us in a more public way in the future. So I partly just want to encourage you if you feel like, yeah, I feel small and, and like frail or yeah, I, I feel hidden away. I, or you might even just feel like sometimes as a community, you feel, oh yeah, we're a, bit, we're a bit tucked away. Like people don't know we're here. Like we want to make a big splash, which is not a bad thing at all. But actually there's times where it's like, actually in, in the purpose and sovereignty of God, he knows you're tucked away. And it might be because he's making your mouth into a sharp sword. That might be the reason you're tucked away. It might be because he's polishing you to be an arrow that he can send out in the fullness of time. I think actually that was probably our experience a little bit. There were times in Bristol where we felt a little bit hidden away or tucked away. It's like, oh, is this, what's God got for us? And it wasn't until like God released the arrow and sent us that we realized, ah, our our time in Bristol, God had been shaping us in ways that we didn't even realize. He'd put things in us that have become, come into fruition in our church in London in, in a profound way that we could never have known. And it's only in hindsight you can see that's the wisdom of God at work in our lives. So the kingdom of God is often, it always starts small. There's often seasons of hiddenness and it's getting even better. Then there's weakness. <laughs> I think the seed kind of speaks to us about weakness because seeds are not the kind of high octane alpha male symbols of strength that most of us, or maybe it's just me, would like to be associated with. In the parables that Jesus tells, most of the seeds don't even bear any fruit. When if you read through Mark 4 and just read these different stories that Jesus tells about seeds, they're not impressive. They're easily snatched away. They get strangled even by weeds. They get eaten by birds. They get scorched by the sun. The seed is not like an immediately impressive <laughs> symbol. It speaks of weakness. And yet, there's something quite profound about that weakness in, in the life of the Christian. That we have to kind of come to terms with our weakness and somehow access God's strength. I, I actually think if, co if the COVID season taught us anything, it's that personal weakness is a reality that we have to all live with if anything we're much more much more aware now of our own personal weakness individually and corporately than we were three four years ago and there's a reality we've got to learn what faith looks like in the context of personal weakness we tend to emotionally and we associate faith with feeling like we can do it we can take on the world and actually we're having to learn, I don't feel like that. I feel actually more drained. I feel less resourceful now than I did three years ago. And yet that doesn't mean that God can't work. It might actually mean that God can work more because the scriptures are really clear. Like when you read the stories of individuals in the scripture, there's usually a process of being stripped back of natural resource and strength before the power of God gets released. And that's not coincidental, that's God's way of working. That's the kingdom of God that he's trying to describe to us. So yeah, welcome to church. Smallness, hiddenness, 
and weakness. Sign up here. And yet we all, or most of us, did. Uh, or maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you're still pondering and looking in and wondering what this whole thing is about. But we actually, as Christians, we embrace small, hidden, and slow growth because we trust God's sovereign purpose over all things. That's why we can embrace it, because we, we think, well, I think it would be better if you did this, Lord. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then you realize I, I, probably t- I probably took a wrong turn somewhere if I'm advising God on his strategy and purpose. Or we, Christians, we embrace weakness because it says in the Bible in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes and describes and says, I will boast in my weakness because it's the only way that I can really truly access God's strength. It's like my weakness acts as a, like a magnet. Like it, it actually draws in God's power. And if I'm hungry for God and for more of God in my life, which I am, then actually personal weakness becomes a gift because it's, it's the way in which I can actually receive more of God's activity and power in my life. We'll even follow Jesus into death because we know it's the pathway to resurrection. And like Paul says that in, in um, Philippians, isn't it? He says, we consider everything else rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. These are not like immediately brilliant, winsome things, smallness, hiddenness, weakness. But actually as Christians, especially as we get older and over time, we realize, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I will take that because that is the way that Jesus builds his kingdom. And what I want more than anything else in my life is more of Christ. I'm hungry for him. I want the surpassing worth of knowing him. And that means I sign up for his purposes and his ways. So that this kind of humble seed tells us about the kingdom of God and it tells us about his preferred way of working in the world, but also it also tells us about his ultimate intention for his people to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. That's, that's what Jesus says in another parable. There's another parable that Jesus says, uh, a man goes into a field and he sows a seed and then he goes and he sleeps at night and the seed grows and the man doesn't even know how it works. That's like my favorite, that's my the best verse in the Bible. You know, it's just like, just go to bed because God's in charge of the kingdom of God and it works without you. <laughs> Amazing. What a great verse. Uh, so Jesus wants us to know all this. It tells us this seed tells us that God's intention is for trees that are the largest of plants that provide shade and shelter for many to come into. And then this beautiful thing that I only really clocked recently in the, the big beginning of Mark 4, Jesus tells this famous parable of the seeds and the birds come and eat the seed. Like the farmer sows the seed, the birds come and eat it. At the end of Mark 4, the seed has grown into a tree and it says, and the birds of the air come and find rest and make nests in its shade. What a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. The people that actually actively oppose the seed being planted end up becoming the people that benefit from the kingdom of God when it grows. There are people who have tried to stop God's work either out there or in their own life, try to resist what God's doing. But the, king, the kingdom of Jesus is the kind of kingdom that even if you're someone who resists him, you're still actually welcome to come in and benefit and sit in its shade and make nests and find a home. And you might, there might even be someone here that you're kind of, you're resisting God's kingdom in your life. And I just want, we, we just want you to know that 
you're still actually welcome in the kingdom of God. That's the way of Jesus. He still welcomes you in to find rest in, in the shade that he brings. And when Jesus told this story that the tree is not, it's not just a kind of coincidental picture. In the Old Testament, uh, two or three places actually, different prophets use the picture of a, a tree that's grown and spread out as a pic- picture of basically massive kingdoms. So it's used about Egypt, which is one of the superpowers of the day. It describes that Egypt became this tree and the branches spread out and filled the land. And it's actually a picture about Israel as well, that Israel will become like a tree that the branches spread out and birds come and find rest in its shade. And so Jesus is basically pointing to that to his disciples. He's saying this thing here, this there's like 12 of us or maybe a few more. There's like a handful of us here. This is going to become that. What we're doing is going to fulfill God's plan for the people of God to fill the whole earth and become a place where people who are in need and who are vulnerable can come and find shelter and come and find rest in this community that we're building and that's going to multiply. Now, I think for Jesus, those disciples, they would have all known that picture. They all knew that God's plan was for the people of God to spread and fill the earth. They knew that. They didn't understand the smallness thing. So Jesus had to kind of help them with that. I think perhaps for some of us, we've kind of switched it a little bit. And we've kind of gotten used to the idea that the church is small and frail and weak (laughs) and hidden away. We've perhaps forgotten that what God is about is a church that fills the whole earth so that the knowledge of the glory of God fills the earth in the same way that the waters cover the sea that's the prophetic image that the old testament gives us and it's just when it's mind-blowing to think of the way that that is happening around the world even now just all the time you hear you pick up stories and rumors of hundreds of thousands in india becoming christians and churches growing and multiplying and spreading and in across the middle east this hidden thing that god's doing that hundreds of thousands of people in Iran. In fact, Iran is now becoming a missionary nation, sending people out that have heard the gospel, planted churches and sending people out around the world, which is completely hidden. No one even knows it. Well, people do know that the authorities can't stop it because they don't know where it is because there's this hidden thing that's been done and now it's becoming this tree that's spreading out. And even the story of this church is that. This is a church that was a seed and has now become like a tree. And just hearing some of the stuff that you guys are doing as a church and uh, serving some of the more vulnerable members of the community, it's like they're coming to find rest in the shade of what God has done in this church. And this church has formed little seeds and sent them out. People like us uh, and others as well, even more recently. I know Jamie was here, wasn't he? And went um, has gone to Leicester. Just a seed, but could become a tree, you know, that one day... Loads of people find rest in the shade. And there's a really beautiful thing. Um, And I'm I'm running out of time, but I just want to give a a, a couple of things, just kind of practical application type things so we can think about what does this mean for us this week? And uh, one one of the things is this, just about having faith for sowing seeds in your life. A guy called William Ward says, judge each day not by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. I actually think that is such... If we can retrain our minds to think like that, it's such a releasing and encouraging way of approaching life. Judge the day by the seeds that you plant. Because you can go into work, your workplace, your school, your university, wherever, and you can feel like, 
man, there's no way I can convert any of these people. Because you're kind of almost like you're looking for the fully ripe plant. And you might be right. There's no way you could. But you know, you can sow a seed. You can actually go in every day to your workplace or your wherever you spend most of your time and you can sow a seed and then you can go to sleep and trust the sovereign God might decide to breathe on that and that might actually bear fruit 30 or 60 or 100 times more than what was sown. What not that just like a beautifully encouraging thought that you can just kind of you can do something and then you can say oh God the rest is with you. You could sow dozens of seeds like that in a day and who knows what God will do with it. If you can turn up to church and you can kind of sit there and think, well, I don't want to get up there and preach (laughs) or definitely please don't ask me to lead worship, you know. And you can think, I'm not going to do that, which kind of looks like this kind of massive tree. But you know what? You can sow a seed. You can speak a word of truth to someone else or even just welcoming someone affectionately is like sowing a seed because it's a picture of God's acceptance of them. It's like a message of grace. Just because you've welcomed them is like a seed of acceptance that's sown into their heart. You can do that. And there are other things. Imagine if we all turned up at church and we thought, I'm just going to sow a seed and then I'm going to pray that God breathes on it. And who knows? Because then I'm going to go to sleep. What a beautifully peaceful way to live life, to be able to sow seeds. And then if you're a parent, you know, oh man, I can't control my kids. They don't become the thing that I've wanted them to become. So you can feel frustrated with that, but you can sow a seed. You can just pick a moment where you decide to particularly show attention, which gives them value and worth, or sow a seed of truth, which might bear fruit in five or 10 or 15 years time. And you trust God with it. So just having faith for a life of sowing seed, I think is actually a beautiful thing in and that the way that the kingdom of God advanced. And finally, um, just faith to sow financially. Because um, actually, the, I know you've got an offering next week. Um, and I, so I just wanted to kind of drop this in as well. Um, the Bible actually speaks about seed when it talks about money. Quite a few times, actually. Um, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. In other words, God has provided and will provide money for you to be generous invest in, and invest in the advance of his kingdom. So the resources you've got, whatever they are, some people have got loads of seed and some of you might feel like, oh, I've really just got a very small seed. <laughs> but that's okay because that's what God's given you. So it's not better to have I mean, we all think it would be better to have a bit more, you know, but it's, you know, some, you might feel like I've got a small bit of seed or I've got a lot of seed. That's okay. God's provided it for you, whatever it is, but he's given it to you so that you can invest it and multiply it by sowing it into the kingdom of God. And I particularly want to say, if you're one of those people, you feel like, yeah, I don't have very, like, I, there's not much seed here to invest. I particularly want to encourage you that that's so in the kingdom of God, that's okay. Because your small seed can actually become something really significant. And I would encourage you, my, my thing all the time is, I think the biggest thing when you're taking offerings as a church and giving is not how much you can put in as much as the fact that you participate with faith. If you've got a pound and you think that's literally, that's my seed. I've got a pound, that's all I can. If you invest that with faith, 
that, that's mighty in the kingdom of God because that will have some impact out there, what you give it into, but it would also have massive impact in your own heart. That's like you're sowing seeds of generosity and faith in your own heart. If you literally are sitting here thinking, I don't even have a pound, I've got debt. That's my, my seed is, you know, is negative. Then this verse encourages us to think, it says, he who supplies seed to the sower. I would love you this week, or even in a minute when we pray, just to pray, God, I pray that you would supernaturally provide some seed for me to sow. If you feel like, God, if you can say with, you know, God, you haven't given me any seed to sow, that's okay. That's the kind of thing you can pray according to this verse. God, give me some seed so I can sow it and it can multiply and become great in the kingdom of God. That's a beautiful prayer to pray. I think God loves to answer it. So some of you might have probably got very small amounts of seed. Some of you have got loads of seed. And actually there's an opportunity for kind of explosive generosity. When Livy and I went to plant uh, the church in Greenwich, we were faced with some kind of challenges like our, our monthly housing costs more than tripled when we moved from Bristol to London. Um, so it was, that was quite a big part of the journey for us, kind of, okay, how's that going to work? And people in this church were incredibly generous to us. One, one family gave us thousands of pounds. Another family gave us their car uh, to take with us to London. And you could kind of, oh, wow, that's pretty significant. And you, you could almost think, well, would that, would that money have been better spent elsewhere? You know, different needs that could have been met, which is true. It's a real thing to ask. But the, actually the reality is that what they sowed into was this thing that then grew. And early on in our church in Greenwich in London, where I had, I had a bit of a faith thing. I was like, I want this church to give a million pounds away to the poor. So you could think, oh, we could give this money to something else or, you know, or it could meet some very valid and meaningful needs in our own life. But actually when you're sowing into something like that, those thousands of pounds, that car became part of this thing we were doing together, which in, actually has resulted in hundreds of thousands of pounds being given away. Like when you sow seed, God multiplies it because that's the kingdom of God. And I'd love us just to pray and think about that. Um, and for you as a church and I definitely need to come into land so I think we're going to take communion I just want to I guess land with this one thought which is that as Christians when we're considering all of this and we're considering our own ministry and our own lives obviously the thing what we come back to is Jesus himself Jesus this is so real and profound for Jesus Jesus actually literally became a seed the son of God like we're saying we difficult for us to get our heads around it the one who created the galaxies that's how we need to kind of try and expand our minds to think about him he he's the one who fills all things and there was a moment where he chose to become a seed literally a seed in a womb and then in john 12 jesus describes he uses the picture of a seed and he says unless unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it doesn't bear any fruit so, and he, that's in the run-up to his own death and resurrection, recognising he himself is a, is a seed that needs to die in order for the fruit. He needs to go to the cross in order for the resurrection and for the forgiveness of sins and for the fruitfulness that God wants to bring to the whole earth. So we're coming to take communion and we're coming to remember the ultimate seed, in a sense, the one who ultimately became small and hidden and weak, 
because he knew that God's sovereign purpose was to fill the whole earth with his glory. Amen. Let me just can I pray quickly and then we probably have to run off. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for this church community. I thank you for all the gifts you've given and all the resource that's here. I thank you for your faithfulness over 20 years or whatever it's been up in North Bristol. I want to pray, Father, for um, just the kingdom of God to keep increasing. I pray that everyone here, we would, we would know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, that he would be very present and very real in hearts and in lives. I pray for great fruitfulness, Lord, to come as we imitate you, Lord Jesus, as we follow you and that different seeds will get planted in workplaces and families and universities and all around this whole area and that would bear amazing fruit in the name of Jesus. Amen.